are not in John. Some of you might be surprised. We are in Isaiah chapter 8. I felt moved, and sometimes I feel moved by the Spirit. I consult with the elders. I asked Corey about what he thought of this and just ask a brother uh, what they're kind of thinking. And and it seemed an agree, we were in agreement. So I kind of take that as, okay, this is something timely and important from God for us. So we're back in Isaiah chapter 8. How many of you read the book of Isaiah front to back? I wonder. Uh, it's probably not most of you. And so Isaiah, it's a book of poetry. It's a book of history. It's got some history and poetry. And it's written by a guy named Isaiah. And I just want to give you some brief context of Isaiah 8, Palestine circa 740 B.C. We need this context. First of all, I want you to know before you reread this, that a conspiracy is afoot. A conspiracy is afoot. A conspiracy of war. Take a look. Not much has changed in the 3,000 years since this, this event, but in Jerusalem down here is where Isaiah lives with King Ahaz. And, above, and to the north, uh, the, there's King Pekah of Israel. Remember, this is a divided kingdom. Judah and Israel split. And then up in Damascus is King Rezin. Well, King Pekah and King Rezin together appealed to the king of Assyria, come and help us deal with Jerusalem. So they've developed and they've put together a pact, and I called it a name. It's just obviously, it's not what they called it, but, but it's a name, the Northern Palestinian Alliance. There's a conspiracy going on. The second thing you need to know is that Isaiah just had a big showdown with the king of shaking trees. What does that mean? <laughs> he just met King Ahaz. God told him to go. He went and talked to the king. And one of the things that the Bible says is that the king and all of his people with him were shaking like trees in a forest. They were so scared of this conspiracy of war that they were shaking like trees in a forest. And God told Isaiah, go and tell Ahaz, ask, tell Ahaz, I will give him a sign. What will be the sign? We're going to have a baby. We're going to, Isaiah is going to have a baby. He has two names in the Bible. One is Emmanuel. He never really is called Emmanuel, but it says that in Isaiah 7, 14. The virgin shall be with child, and you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But you also say there's another name this baby has. It's Isaiah's baby. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. I thought Christopher Robbins was a rough name as a kid. <laughs> Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Well, anyway, this baby is a timeline, and what Isaiah, God tells Isaiah to tell the king is by the time this baby, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, otherwise called Emmanuel, is old enough to tell right from wrong, King Pekah, King Rezin, and Assyria will all be done. God's going to take care of the whole conspiracy, and the baby's a timeline. And the fourth, the fourth context I want you to see is George Frederick, Frederick Handel. What am I talking about there? Well, Isaiah 8 precedes Isaiah 9. And you know Isaiah 9, even if you don't know it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Unto, you know that song. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Just a month ago, just a little more than a month ago, we were in that text. 
that talks about Jesus. So that's the context that we, I'm going to read it. And, and so I want you to see that's the context it comes into. And I'm going to read the text right now, and, and hopefully you'll be able to have a handle on where we're going, okay? A little bit, a little bit. And uh, we'll explain it as we go along. Now let's go to the text. The sermon today is from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 20. Emmanuel, be broken, you peoples, and shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. <clears throat> Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, because God is with us. For the I Am spoke this way to me with his strong hand upon me. He warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear. Do not shake in terror, but the Almighty I Am, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear, and let Him be your shaking terror. And He will become a sanctuary. And a stone of offense, he will be a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the I am who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will hope in him. See now, I and the children the I am has given me are signs. They are portents in Israel from the almighty I am who lives on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and, and necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? to the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, I ask for uh, power with the word. I just haven't given this brief context, and I know how foreign the word can be and how strange it can be to us. We ask for you, Holy Spirit, bridge those 3,000 years, nearly 3,000 years, and speak living truth to us of Jesus and the fear and what it is to fear you, what it is to be in fear of you, and how can that be holy and good? Father, would you give, would you forgive this, the sins of the one who speaks, for there are many, and do not let uh, his sins be held against his people, against your people. But let us all receive the Holy Spirit, every one of us, to the full. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's your first introduction, but this sermon has two introductions. <laughs> I feel like I'm battling uphill almost uh, with this with the subject today. But uh, but don't but don't 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 fret. Don't fret about it. Um, but um, Recently, we, because of COVID and other things, it's been good to preach against fear. <laughs> I don't know if you've, you've been paying attention, but I, there have been a, it's been a theme 
of us seeking to take deeper and deeper comfort in the love and mercy, the tenderness and kindness of God. And I, I love it. I love preaching about it. And the scriptures are full of that teaching. And we know it. And it is against fear. And it tells us there is no fear in love. John tells us that. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear is bad. When 2 Timothy, it says that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. In fact, in Romans 8, we were told we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And you see, there's fear, fear, being scared, fear. And we've been all against fear, like the Bible is against fear. But remember uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at the paradoxes of God and how, and how faith often has contraries and things that work in opposition and ideas that work in tandem and in contrast with each other. Because this, this fear right here is the bad fear. It is ungodly fear. What does that mean? It's the servile, cowering, crippling phobias of panic, loss of thought, and an ability, and just, we're talking about naked, fight or flight, crippling panic. Uh, ungodly fear is that death clench in your heart, as I wrote down, is into mind-numbing, thoughtless panic at the thought of, of pain or suffering or dying. And that heaven's sake, we want to get rid of all that kind of fear. But there's something else the Bible talks about, isn't there? There's something else the Bible talks about. Because when we defined fear before, we said false evidence appearing real. And I know some of you found that helpful. False evidence appearing real is these false fears. But there's another fear that's not false evidence appearing real. What is this? This is the fear of God, the fear of the I am, the fear of the Lord. This is the godly fear that flows from faith. And that's what we're going to take a look at today, the godly fear that flows from faith. And now, I, I, have, I, know, I know for a fact that I have never in my life heard a sermon on the fear of God. I have never heard one. I, I, can't, I was trying to remember if I preached one before. This is out of style, out of vogue. It is out of sync with our culture and our values. It is a teaching that is not cherished, not loved, not sought, and not happening in our pulpits. Why? I mean, it seems so contrary a lot of, to all those texts that we did, all, the, all those passages I just showed you, right? But it's because we don't really get the biblical teaching about fear. Some people will say, oh, you know, that's Old Testament stuff, or or that's not Jesus, or or fear is for uh, fear is just a little part of, and and it's just all that's wrong. Let me show you. Look, fear is the beginning of wisdom. It's the starting point. It's the starting point. We, uh, look in Isaiah eleven. Isaiah eleven is a description of what the Holy Spirit brings. What does the Holy Spirit bring? Fear of the I am, the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. But then it becomes a description, and Isaiah 11 here is a description of who? It's a description of Christ. And Christ is described as having delight in the fear of the I am. What? All right, get this. It's a starting point. It's a description of what the Spirit does. It's a description of Jesus. Keep going. In the New Testament, it is a command, directly commanded by Jesus. Fear him. 
fear God who can destroy both body and soul. It also becomes a command from the apostle. How do you understand being saved? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me, take, let me give you a picture that really stunned me as I was studying this. Look here in Revelation 19. In the worship of eternity and heaven, you who fear him. Fear is a part of the worship that happens in glory when we see God. What? And all of a sudden, fear, as both beginning and end here, you see it's the beginning of wisdom and it's at the end of, of uh, in, in Revelation, and in between a description of Jesus, a work of the Spirit, a command of Christ, a command of the apostles. All of a sudden, you realize fear and the fear of God, a godly fear that flows from faith, is what we're seeking. What is this we're looking at? In fact, this word fear, get, get this, this is even incredible to me. I, God's name is called fear. He, he, actually, twice in the Bible, God is called the fear. Fear is such a big concept in the Bible, sometimes the entire walk of the Christian life in the New Testament is called walking in the fear of the Lord. That's the whole Christian life. And in fact, sometimes Christians were called what? God-fearers, you see, people who, are fear, who fear God. It can be a shorthand for who we are. <laughs> and uh, I don't think anybody calls Christians the God-fearers in this day. We don't even call ourselves that. But you see how important it is we get a handle on this. And what I wanted to do today is I want us to move from godless fear, an ungodly fear and panic, to godly fear. What does godly fear look like? It looks like sometimes there is a certain panic in it. It can feel sometimes like the other kind of fear in certain circumstances of sin or judgment or, or your own wickedness. But really what it is, it captures wonder, awe, greatness, a sense of our own smallness, carefulness about how we live. It, it intimates some sort of knowledge of, of, of God's uh, an amazement at his holiness and his eternal holiness. And what we're going to do today, and what I propose we will do, is we will journey through our text in Isaiah 8 together, looking at three different paths, three different, three different verses on fear. And each one has a different thing to teach us in our text. So let's just kind of dive in. And let's begin with the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is a fairly small, brief verse. You could probably memorize it in the time that this sermon goes on. You could sit down and just start rehearsing in your head. This is a core living verse. The fear of the I am is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So, we'll be introduced as a starting place here. And where does the fear of God kind of begin? This fear that flows from faith. Now, it begins in a vision, and it's contained even, it's contained in Isaiah 8, too. You'll notice fear has to do with God's holiness over here. And then the name of God also, also has another dimension, the awe and wonder that it creates, the, 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 the incredible vision of God that creates this godly fear is the fear of the I am in the name. What does the name I am, I am, I am mean? It means eternal because he is the one who always is. It is eternity. He's the eternal God. He's eternal. What is his holiness? His holiness is his purity. It's his purity. 
So it's this, it's this unimaginable, eternal, vast, beyond scope, beyond space, beyond time, older than, older than the universe, older than the universe will ever be. A trillion billion years couldn't even capture a small bit of everything God is as pure in his power, as vast in his purity, and as absolutely inviolable in absolute perfection. Woo! And the idea here is that the fear that flows from faith is a heart getting close to that magnitude. Now get this, when I describe God this way, when I describe him as so big and so eternal and so powerful, I wonder if it really gets you, it really pun it doesn't have a lot of punching weight. Because a lot of us think of God out there, you know, okay, God is great and mysterious and eternal and, and holy, but that's not, that's not in this room. But I want you to watch where the, what, the, what, the, what Isaiah 8 does, what Isaiah does with this. We're going to begin with the first little poem. Isaiah began Isaiah 8 with a poem. And the poem is the Emmanuel poem. Now, you have heard the word Emmanuel before. If you, it's, we always sing that song around Christmas, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's a beautiful song, and it's in a minor key. There's a certain melancholy to it. And, and, and it's appropriate to have some melancholy. Because the God with us, um, Corey, spoke on this, a beautiful message he gave us on Christmas Eve about what Emmanuel is in terms of the hope it offers us as Christians. But Isaiah, Isaiah kind of turns that on its head. Remember, it's the name of, his, of the kid that's been prophesied. It's an image of Jesus coming, because Jesus' name is also his second name, his secret name, if you want to call it that, Emmanuel. And... and um, and so this is all prophetic. It's all anticipating that the child that's to come. But, but, but don't, I don't want to get there yet. I want you to look at what, what he does here. It's remarkable. Uh, first, first, this first little poem here is a, oh, wrong way, is a chiasm. I, now, now, some of you are probably sick of my chiasm uh, references. That's fine. It's just a Hebrew poet. It's a Hebrew poetry. And I love poetry. I study poetry in, 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 uh, college and is my favorite one of my favorite subjects but hebrew poetry is different than than western right it's a mirror poem where the top half mirrors the second half they they're like mirror images of each other take a look emmanuel god with us the first uh, the first is vocative it's like a shouting somebody's name in hebrew and the second says because and it uses the word emmanuel so you see those are both mirror each other emmanuel begins the the, the poem emmanuel ends the poem and that's the hebrew poetic uh um, sentiment and, and practice. But look at the mirroring here. This, this is also a mirror in the blue. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Uh, give ear, and all you far countries, take counsel together, or come nothing, speak a word, but it won't stand. Ear and speak. You see, there's kind of a parallelism even in the imagery back and forth, a little contrast. And then the center, the center is repeated twice. And if you remember your Hebrew grammar, so some of you are growing in it, when things get repeated twice in Hebrew, it means it's a perfect expression. This is a perfect expression here of destruction. God's perfect presence, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, brings strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your What is going on here? Well, the Emmanuel concept of God with us is very pleasant for us until and when we begin to realize that we're inviting all of that holy perfection into close proximity with our imperfection, our rebellion, our failure, and our, in, oh my goodness, you see, there's a crisis. 
Isaiah identifies that the cry for God with us creates a crisis of, because of our unholiness, because of our own sin, because of our rebellion here. And that's what he's describing here. It's funny, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, sounds like a promise at first, but here it becomes a threat. Here it becomes a problem. And so uh, he, he's, he, 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 know, he wants them, he wants these ancient Israelites who are very religious to have a real fear of God that represents a fear that flows from faith, an encounter with the eternal, that great I am, the Holy One. That's what he wants for them. And, 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 and but there's two, there's two ways you can go here, obviously. You can either go to judgment or you can, you can change, change the way you're behaving. As, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a result of this threat and turn to the God. We'll, we'll, we'll cover that in just a second with that, where, where fear leads us there. But this is, right out the gate, right out the gate is this jarring, and, and this is where you get the language. It makes so much sense here uh, of uh, shaking in terror and uh, let him be your fear and be your shaking terror. What shall we do in response to this then? What, what's, what's, what does Isaiah say? What does Isaiah say to, to the people, and how does he want to encourage them to get them out of a fear that a fear that leads to death and a fear that leads to life, a fear that flows from faith? Well, he tells them twice: read your Bible, bind up the testimony. The testimony is a, a, a Bible technical word in the Old Testament for. The testimony, the teaching, the testimony, the teaching, the teaching, the testimony. It's the first five books of the Bible. It's Isaiah's Bible. And it's interesting to me that in the moment where he wants them to, wants them to wake up, as it were, to the fear of God, he tells them the way they're going to get there and the way they're going to clear their heads, as it were, is just to read their Bibles. Go to the Word, to the Word, to the testimony. He says, go, go. He's directing them, run to it. Read your Bibles. What, the, what is this saying? What is this telling us? If you read your Bible, you will learn what God is really like. You'll get, you'll find Emmanuel to be Emmanuel. You'll get close to him. And when you get close to God, you discover his attitudes, his actions, the things he did, the things he commanded. And what happens as it grows, as, as, you're, as you're fund of knowledge of how God acts and responds to sin, what his attitude about rebellion and righteousness is, what his actual commands were, what he actually told us to do, not by report, not by rumor, not by a sermon, but by your own reading to the testimony, seal the teaching. Seal means, mean really, Seal it in, get it in there. It's, it's, it's more than just reading. It's, 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 it's internalizing. We will get to know God. And when you get to know God, you will be filled with an awe and wonder. Or you will be filled with a fear that flows from faith. Either that, or you just won't like him, and you'll be afraid and run away. I, I, mean, I guess that could happen, but that's, that's not what I'm encouraging you. That's not what he's encouraging. He's hoping that if you have a real encounter with God in the Bible, and you really discover who he is, you will begin to know godly fear. But he goes further than that. He doesn't just tell you to go to your Bibles to know God. And it's so important you do this, by the way. God is, God is uncontrollable in the Bible. It, you, you discover, wow, you think you know him, you really don't. He, he, he's unusual. He's, he's extraordinary. He's awesome. He's amazing. But, you're, but he's also a warning here in the text. 
It was popular for them to go to mediums. What's a medium? A medium and a necromancer are people who claim that they can talk with dead people and that you can talk with people that are long dead or long gone. Maybe you miss your father or miss your grandpa or something like that. Well, a medium, you could talk to them. But a lot of ancient people thought if you talk to the dead, the dead know things that the living don't. The dead can see. The dead can see some spiritual world or something. And they can see and know things that we living people don't know. And so, therefore, necromancers and mediums would go and they, would, they were a source of information. They were a source of information, a rival information about the world. And he tells them, not only run to the God's word, stay away from all other sources. And that's what I'm telling you today. Listen to, the, listen to Isaiah. If you want to learn the fear of God, the fear that flows from faith, the fear that is filled with awesome wonder and, 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 and in, in the knowledge of God is, is, such, is such a thing. Now, I, uh, I just lost my train of thought right there for a second. But look at, look at this. If they will not speak according to this word, is because they have no dawn. They're living in darkness. Don't choose darkness. Uh, don't choose teachers who teach you about God, but not, go, not do it from the word. Uh, don't, avoid all these things. Avoid other inputs because they will only lead you to deception. Chirping and muttering right here. Chirping and muttering. Uh, if you've ever been around um, cultists and uh, around other other religions that do weird things like this or, or weird ecstatic like rituals a lot of times the the leaders will speak in strange languages or or make strange sounds and that's a part of that worship chirping and muttering you see acting like little animals and he says get away from all that so this is the first thing if you would fear god and the fear that flows from faith is first the one that grasps that his eternal splendor and purity is here right now in my face is a part of a feature of living in America today, living my life in this, in my marriage, and whatever I'm doing. And I will, and I must seek to understand this God as He has spoken, not from any other source. Then I'm on the route. I'm on track. I'm in the place. I have the possibility of the fear that flows from faith. The fear of the I am, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, that is the beginning of wisdom. I can start now. Some of you are, want to know how to begin in the Christian life sometimes. This is a good place to begin. Begin with the fear of God that flows from faith. But let's go to the next part of this fear. Because you notice this fear here in the Bible. This is the only place in the Bible I know that we are told to shake in front of God. <laughs> I hope you see that that shaking, though, is a play on words now. Because remember, they were shaking like trees in a forest. And so this, this extremely strong language here, and I think the ESV translates the word shaking terror as dread. But in the Hebrew, it means to shake, to quake in your boots, as it were. That's, you know, that, that's, yeah. That's what we're seeking. Now, we, we want to seek the fear that flows from faith with this second verse. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The first verse is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, we need a vision of the greatness and eternity of the holy God. Amen. What's the second thing that leads to fear? Knowing the mercy of God. Seeing the extraordinary depths of 
of a mercy beyond, beyond comprehension, mercy that's as ancient as the universe, a mercy that we were told began in the love before the foundation of the world, a mercy beyond that is as great and exalted and eternal and powerful and vast and majestic as his holiness is his love. Fear him. There is a fear that flows from faith. And that fear, that fear that I might not, that fear that I, that I need, I need a sacrifice for sin. And something happens here. I, gosh, guys, I, I want to tell you, the Bible is so consistent from beginning to end. It should be one of the things that invites you to put your trust in Christ more deeply and more fully. Because the scriptures in the Bible are so unbelievably consistent. And what is their consistency? He will become a sanctuary. Look at this. If you let him be your fear and let him be your shaking terror right here in this, in this, in this verse, what will happen? He will become a sanctuary. You know, we could restate that in more, in more New Testament words. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's rewrite it. Let him be your fear and let him be your shaking terror and he will become a sanctuary. What does that mean? The temple was called the sanctuary. What does this mean? The holy place. What is the holy place? It's a picture of God's holy presence, which you cannot enter. You must not enter. You cannot enter ever because he will be consumed by his holiness unless somebody can keep you safe, unless somebody can be a sanctuary, a place, safe place in God's holiness. Who is that but Christ on a cross? Christ dying for sinners. And the sanctuary, the temple, was all a picture, you see. It was all an anticipation. And here he is preaching Christ on the cross in Isaiah 8. And you could barely see it. If you were reading this fast, you'd go right over that. You wouldn't even realize what it meant. And, and that is merely an Old Testament version of believe in Jesus, and he will be a refuge and a safety and a covering and a sacrifice for your sin. With you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are fear. With him, he contains all of the bounty of his love. So what is this? The fear of the foes from faith. This fear that grasps the wonder and, of his love and the wonder of his holiness and greatness and splendor. Mm, what does it do? It puts his trust in him to be your sanctuary. Do you have your trust in Christ? I invite you today to make a decision for Jesus, to make a decision. Maybe you're, maybe some of this stuff does scare you. Maybe life scares you. Maybe you're scared of the future and frightened. Maybe it's just beginning to, be, to frighten you now as the idea of a, of a holy God and what does a holy God require and what is a holy God like and what are his attitudes. And here you have a holy God in his eternity making his son a sanctuary for sinners. Praise him. Huh? I invite you to give your faith, your life to Christ right now. But if some of you have walked with God for a long time, then I invite you to do something else. Let's invite God's strong hand on us. Did you notice that? Now I am spoke this way to with me with his strong hand. What's that feel like to have God's strong hand on you? Do you know? Is that what you're seeking? Do you seek that for me as your pastor? That's what you should be praying for me, I think. 
as we pray for each other. This is our hope together. And we're being invited right here that the fear that flows from faith, the fear that, that Stahl stands in awe before a God whose forgiveness is so dramatic that it comes at the cost of his son, a cost he is willing to pay and accept and demand and receive and give away. And we see love and a perfect holy justice coming together and kissing and making sense at a cross. Where if you put your faith in Jesus, you're afraid and you are covered by a sacrifice. And then what we are, what are we yearning for? But deeper passion for these things that, that result in a fear that, 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 that results in praise and wonder and obedience and life and joy. That's what I want. We live in a powerless age for the church. And I suspect or I wonder if some of that powerlessness, some of the loss of a church that has a message of power and a message of life is the way that we have undercut the fear of God. We've undercut it and eliminated it as distasteful or, or, or abhorrent or, or un, un, unpopular or, or, or maybe something we just can't understand and, and we shied away from it. And you can you see what a desperate straits we have been in. And we need God's strong hand on us, don't we? To restore, restore the proper place of a beautiful fear, a fear that creates and excites wonder and awe. And right this moment, it kind of makes sense. Arnov and I were talking about this this week. It's kind of funny. He was asking the question, when did the word awesome become a positive word? <laughs> and then I said, well, it happens a lot. Uh, actually, there are three words, awesome, bad, and wicked. All three of those are terrible words. To be, uh, for something to be awesome means it's, ter- it's scary. It creates awe. It creates a sense of fear. Um, uh, when we say something's wicked, we're saying it's a terrible, evil thing. We're saying something bad, obviously it's bad. But notice, all those words, wicked, bad, wicked, and um, awesome, all become positive expressions in our culture. Why? Well, someone might say it's because our culture is so demented. <laughs> it turns terrible things into good things. Eh, maybe, maybe, but I doubt it. I, I think what's happening here is that in our grammar, our grammar reflects the fact that we all know that the most beautiful and awesome, the most beautiful and amazing things are both terrifying and beautiful at the same time. Like we get it. When you draw close to the things that frighten you most deeply, or or when you or or, or the things that are most beautiful, you'll find that often there's somehow the, the feelings come the same. Uh, it's like there's this, I mean, the most intense, because this is describing in, in, in fear, the most intense possible human expression, right? And, and sometimes, well, you know, it, is it negative, positive? Fear. And you see, we're, we're in the crux right there. And I want us to turn towards faith and godly fear and not towards fear and panic and servile phobias, you see. And so we're right in this cusp, and and I, and so you can see even language hints at how how uh, how uh, uh, the excited state of fear could be a positive or a negative, depending on how what you're fear afraid of, and and or how you're afraid of fear, what you're afraid of, and God fills that place, and He creates both kinds, right? And if you come by faith, you have the fear that flows from faith into joy, praise, wonder, obedience, and life, or you have a fear that leads to death doubt, terror, and panic. All right, so let's 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 go to the last, let's go to our last point here. The I am, and this is kind of where cash money. I'm hoping that 
the I am, the fear of the I am is clean. This is from uh, Psalm 19. I've always loved that. Isn't that, isn't that an odd? Isn't that an odd expression? Another way you could translate that word "clean" is pure, but it, it's it, ooh. I just I wish I had a bar of soap right now. It's like the fear of I am is like a bar of soap. <laughs> scrub up, scrub up, scrub up, scrub up. Yes, the fear of God is useful, enduring forever into eternity. Even remember the praise of heaven. Praise of heaven includes the fear of God. We never transcend it because it's the way you interact with an awesome God, but even in heaven. But I want to make this useful. And I think that's exactly what Isaiah does. And that's well, let's turn to that and then we'll, we'll be done. What's the first use of the fear of God? Conspiracies. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. We live in a time of endless conspiracy. I Conspiracy theorists and conspiracies seem to be hovering everywhere. And you'll notice this conspiracy here that he refers to is a true conspiracy. It's not a theory. It was an actual conspiracy between Assyria, Pika, and King, Re King Pika, and King Rezin. And they were. And it wasn't a theory. It was real. What do we do with conspiracy theories? What do we do with the conspiracy or the claims? But and this is where and we'll often we'll be like, well, is it true? Is it not? And we can do that, and we do that with our with good minds. But I don't think that's the way to deal with the heart of the conspiracy theory idea. What I mean by this is, it's very tempting to try to take somebody who believes a conspiracy theory and try to talk them out of it. I think that's a mistake. I think that's a mistake. Because in the end, I don't know if their theory is right or wrong. It could be right. It could be wrong. Any kind of theory could be. I mean, some of them are cockamamie or crazy, sure. But they may be right or wrong. But a conspiracy theorist, somebody who's turned to that, that's not, that, that debating right or wrong is not going to help you. We need, you need to get back to the root. You need to get back to the root of this. How do you deal with the idea that there's a conspiracy out there? You see? Because conspiracy here in Isaiah's mind, is merely a sinister sovereignty. It's a rival version of sovereignty to God's sovereignty. It's saying that Pika and Rezin have sovereignty. You need to fear the Illuminati. You're saying the Illuminati has sovereignty. Uh, or let's say you're afraid of, you know, and then you can, all, sorts of, all sorts of places we can go here, right? There are all sorts of places, conspiracy theory, places blame uh, on groups and people groups and ethnic groups and and all these different things it tries to establish in the rich or the powerful. And the Illuminati is one of those common ones, this idea of a secret cabal of, of men and women who are seeking to overthrow, overthrow the kingdom. Even. But, but, and they may exist. Who, but here's the point. And this is what I love about, about, about Isaiah. Don't call, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's true or false. It doesn't matter if it scares you. Don't be alarmed. Do not fear with that. Don't shake in terror. What's the idea here? If you get the fear of God and the fear of God that flows from faith has a knockout punch to all other fears. That's the idea here. Replace the fear you have of what might happen or what crazy group might be out there conspiring to throw down, turn down our capital or, 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 Transform us all into 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 uh, into socialist, whatever you socialist, whatever your fear is, whatever, whatever you want to scramble this and get it in, and, and arouse it. The challenge is, there's a knockout punch for all fear, and what's that? The fear of you can only be afraid of one thing at a time. <laughs> Praise God, we we are minded to we can't handle more than one thing to be afraid of. 
And, uh, and so it just has a knockout punch. And I just deliver that knockout punch to the fears you have about the plans of others. Maybe you have a conspiracy at work you're worried about. Maybe there's a conspiracy of your uncles you're worried. Who knows? We're always afraid of this group or that group or other people and the fear of man. The fear of God when it's big enough, when it's real enough, when it's immediate enough, when it flows from faith into worship, awe and a sense of wonder and amazement. There's no more fear left. Um, do you remember the 100-mile-an-hour winds that came this past week? Um, Arnoff was telling me he's up on the 40th floor. He and his brother moved to a new unit, and it's on the 40th floor. It's got a great view and everything. And uh, But he said when you're up there and 100-mile-an-hour winds are hitting the building, you can feel the whole building move. And uh, he said he's made some, a funny observation right in line with this. When you're afraid of that, he said all the other fears in his life, all the other fears that, that worry him, that consume him, that chase him, he said they were all gone, <laughs> replaced by one thing. That's what we can do with the fear of God. You see. The fear of God has power to knock out, punch everything else that threatens us. You know, the, with the conspiracy theory problem is just because you're not paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. You don't even have to worry about that. Fear God. And you need fear nothing else the rest of your life. The knockout punch. It's clean. Do you feel the bar of soap? Washing your up, washing your heart, washing out that fear? Because you need fear nothing else. The, all those other rival sovereignties, those sinister versions of sovereignty, have no power against the Lord Most High. Kings, Illuminati, queens, princes, billionaires, they're inconsequential to the plans of God, and they are not rivals. Praise him. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want you to get clean. Oh, let's get your bar of soap. Fear of God. If you fear God, how is the second way you're going to be clean? Don't be offended. Look, look this, this message is going to offend some people and, and potentially could offend you as you're listening right now. I don't know. I don't have control over that. And I, I am trying, I want to try so hard not to be offensive as a man. But right here, the stone of offense, the rock of stumbling, trap is snare, a stumbling, fallen, broken. These are all things said about Jesus later. These become texts that are quoted in the New Testament to describe Jesus. Remember, Jesus could be a sanctuary, right? Like we were just saying, or he could be a stone of offense. In other words, Jesus can go either way, just like fear can go either way, right? Fear can either be a fear that flows from faith, awesome awe and wonder and praise, or fear that doesn't flow from faith is godless fear, servile, offended, offended. Don't be offended. And don't be surprised that the world is offended by this teaching. And don't be surprised if there's a part of you that's fighting me as I'm talking. Because the heart of man, this one thing about the fear of God is it's very humbling. So it, it, it humbles us. And, and, and fear creates a fight or flight. And for some people, they just want to run away from it or they want to fight it. And the panic takes over, and they just make they get angry at God, and they want to they they, they want to, they want to tear God down, or maybe your heart maybe your heart Eve you can sense that reaction in you. There's a reaction in you against what I'm saying. Be still in your heart. Ask God to do, put His strong hand on you, right? Ask Him to do His strong hand on you and to show you these things better than I am showing them to you. So ask Him to show them to you personally. Ask Him to reveal to your heart. 
Don't be offended though. And it, it, don't take offense at this. This is the truest, this is a true preaching of God's word. And, and, and it's a true preaching of his truth and his, and, and his saving us at the cross and the blood of Jesus. It is a true teaching of God's anger even in the world. That ought to be, there, there, there ought to be fear if you don't know him. What, what can you expect but fearful judgment and a repayment for your sin? So don't be offended. So we're washing up. Oh, we're getting rid of offense. Now we understand offense. Oh, yeah. And we washed off. What else do we washed off? Conspiracy fears. Oh, what else? This is the third way we can wash. And I think this is just beautiful. This again brings us back round full circle. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Look at look, 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 look what look what Isaiah does because of his fear. He is able to wait. And he's able to hope. Hope and power to wait on God. Where do they find their source? Where do they find their motive? Where do they find their clarity? Where do they find their energy? Where do they find their power? Where do you find power for hope? How can we wait on God in a posture of eager expectation? Aha! Through the fear that flows from faith by the Holy Spirit. And what we begin is, is that when we seek these very things, when we seek them from his powerful hand, we seek him as our sanctuary. When we seek an experience of his awesome holiness that will cause us to run from sin and run to him for hope and for help, to run to the source of the Bible and no other source, to run to his sanctuary and no other hope, to ask for his powerful hand and then to get clean. <sighs> Beginnings. I almost feel like I, I just, uh, in this message, I was like just handing you a bar of soap, you know, handing you the Bible here. Clean up. Let the fear of God that flows from faith flow into you for eternal life. Let's pray. Dearest Father, dearest Father in heaven, holy is your name. Holy is your Son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, teach us the fear, the fear of you. We come to you. You are our fear. <laughs> you are the fear in, the, in, the, in your word. And we come to you full of wonder, a sense of awe, trembling awe. How could, how could it be that you would love like this? That you, the eternal holy God, would love a man like me. I stand in the sanctuary of Jesus. I stand in the sanctuary of Jesus. Otherwise, I'm going to be shattered and broken. Emmanuel, God with us. Yes, Father, let it be so by the Holy Spirit as we come to communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. On the night Jesus Christ is betrayed, he broke bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you, which is given to you. Take and eat. And in the same way, after dinner, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take, take and drink it. This is my blood. So do you, do you, get, do you get how fear relates to this even? I mean, you know, one interpretation of this that the ancient Romans had when they first 
heard about Christians was that we were a bunch of cannibals. <laughs> that would make anybody anybody afraid. It, it, our, 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 our truth is fearful and some wonder, oh, strange, awesome, and wonderful. <laughs> a God comes to eat with his people and to fill them, and he's holy. How can this be? How can we hope in it? Unless he's a sanctuary. So first and foremost, this table is for everybody whose faith and belief and trust is in Jesus Christ as a sanctuary for them, as a cleansing for their sin before a holy God, who in fear have, have turned to Jesus for hope and love and, and, and joy. And know this, this is your table. If you know this Savior, this is your table. Come and get it. But let, do you see the warning here now? Because Emmanuel, God with us, can be a God present in this place, in this table, in a real way, means that if you take it, and you take it because you think, man, I'm a good guy, man, I'm going to make it, this is going to be another good thing I do, I'm a religious person, I deserve God's love, and you see, if you take this table, that you don't really have the fear of God, you're just eating judgment, be shattered, that's all that would happen to get close to this God, if you don't trust in Jesus, you're just going to be broken, shattered, destroyed. This table is an illustration of it. If you're a skeptic and 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 you find the 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 fear of God is offensive, then then I I am praying that that they will turn and that will turn into wonder and faith. All right. Um, let's proclaim together now the mystery of our faith. One, two another. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. We proclaim the mystery of faith with one hand. Let's proclaim the facts of our faith with the other. I ask you, Christian, I ask you, First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco guests, what, what do you believe? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.